You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy While Muslim Podcast with your co-hosts, Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jaffrey. This is Uzma. And this is Zeba Hassan. How was your July 4th? We didn't do, really do anything. You know, sadly, we are... <laughs> um, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, you know, my husband, I love him to death, but he is a little bit more fearful of Corona than probably a lot of people. Um, so we have... Um, kind of reined even everything in a little bit more um because his philosophy is and rightly so you know he's like there are lots of people are going out for like these fourth of july celebrations and this and that there's no social distancing that's just going to inevitably show up by us and quite frankly we are directly impacted we know a lot of people that have had um deaths in their family um you know they're intermediate and extended so for us it's a very real phenomenon so that having been said we are staying close to home for the inevitable future um so our fourth of july was pretty much watching the fireworks um on other people's facebook feeds because quite frankly we (laughs) did not watch it even on cable and live um and you know we're kind of a little bit torn about all of this like you know i'm super proud to be an american muslim we talk about that all the time but with the current political climate with a lot of things coming to fruition it feels a little bit off i don't know to like like why am i celebrating yeah a little bit you know um we did watch hamilton probably along with everybody else in america i know you're not the biggest fan but i love the songs and i sing them all day long even separate and apart from watching it uh and and it did cause um or at least open up a dialogue with my daughter who um i managed to like you know wrangle into watching it with me um because you know can you imagine my boys trying to watch it with me they were like why is this song never ending it is a musical but that is why so my 10 year old boy watched with me see i love that you're so lucky yeah Yeah, mine are zero interested in anything with the arts if it doesn't require if it's not a ball they're not watching it okay they're just not so one day hopefully but probably not um but that having been said it did cause us to kind of like go back into our history you know this was the first quote unquote political scandal of the time, you know, with the affair and all that. It definitely caused um, or created a conversation piece um, with my daughter, who also brought up a fun fact, which I didn't know, which we'll have to dig into that apparently Abraham Lincoln was bisexual. Did you know? Did you know this? No. Where did she oh, get that yeah. information? I mean, she, because she started doing all this research on past presidents. She goes, oh, oh and by the way. she's got to share her sources. I got to read she that. She does. I think yeah. it was like University of Michigan Law School was one of the, um, but that having been said, you know, it's opening up a different um, viewpoint of our presidents and our history than what we were necessarily taught in school. So you had your move on top of everything else. How did that go in your 110 degree weather in, you know, Phoenix, (laughs) which I would die, literally die? Well, alhamdulillah, we have AC that works. So that's good. But, you know, unpacking boxes, it is just no fun. Um, 
But on top of the, the unpacking, I decided this is the time that I'm going to go back to Ikea. And I haven't been inside of an Ikea for like a decade. I oh think my it's God, been girl. eight to 10 years since I've been inside of an Ikea. Um, and it was terrible. I probably contracted COVID while I was there. Oh my God, um, don't say I that. I know, God forbid. But we both were wearing our masks, but it was crowded. And it is hard to maintain six foot distance when you are in a shopping space. So everybody who's going out and saying that they are, I don't believe you. I haven't been inside of a store in some time now, except for Home Depot's and Lowe's. And Mm -hmm. it's very easy to maintain distance. Yeah, because it's huge. They're really not that that full and they have the tape on the ground to tell you what's six foot well here at ikea nobody cared where the tape was they were just crowding into your personal Mm -hmm. space and even the sales associate was like this close to me talking and he had a mask and i'm like stepping back and he's stepping Mm -hmm. into my space and i'm like this is my six feet so i think i'm gonna create a hoop that's like six foot around me so that nobody can enter my hoop so you should do you should just walk around with the um hula hoop (gasps) I just need to figure right? out how to hold it on my waist suspenders. so people stay away. Oh, yeah. I have my grandpa's suspenders. That's a yeah, good idea. exactly. See, I'm going to definitely pray for you because I know Phoenix is definitely a hot spot for COVID right now. So please hope you mm-hmm. don't um, get COVID. It's very real, people. Um, it's not fake yep. news. It's real news. Um, so that having been said, what's our soapbox for today? Because I know there's always one with you because I woke up in our group and I was like, I don't even know what the heck is happening here. But I love how you always have something to say, whether or not I agree yeah. or not. But I love that you have something to say and you own it, girl. So yes. what is our soapbox for today? I appreciate that you don't always agree, mm-hmm. but you humor me. And yeah. we can talk about it. Yeah. You know, okay. and yeah, we're friends. Yeah. And we can agree to disagree, and that's fine. But I find that sometimes on especially social media, it's hard because they're words, right? And there's no emotion behind it. There's no intonation or inflection behind it. So people can take things the wrong way. So I believe I ran somebody the rubbed somebody the wrong way yesterday on our Facebook group. And she let us know, and that's why you saw the post this morning. Yeah, I was like, what um, is going went, on? <laughs> yeah, your popcorn uh, <laughs> emoji was really funny, or your uh, giffy, or whatever you call it. So um, we've been watching uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, their Midway Target Starbucks. There was an incident where a Muslim um, patron ordered a drink. And you know how they say what name, and we all give a name. Um, and the name that the Starbucks employee wrote was Isis on this person's cup. Now, there's been some posts on our group saying, well, maybe her name sounded like Isis. And I am racking my brain for all the South uh, South Asian and Arab and Muslim sounding names that I know, and none of them sound anything like Isis. I could be wrong. Um, and no Muslim who knows the CIA is always tapping our phones or watching us, would ever name their kid ISIS because A, terrorist organization that's made our life so difficult, and two, uh, Egyptian pagan goddess. Like, we would never do that because you're supposed to give your kids good names and not name them after pagan gods and goddesses. If you're practicing, I mean, if you really want to name your kid that, hey, more power to you. I hope, you know, she didn't get offended like this particular Muslim patron did. Like, why would you write ISIS on my cup? So Care Minnesota has gotten involved and they're going to have a press conference sometime today. I still don't have a link for it. I've been looking all morning. 
and they're going to talk about um, firing this particular employee. And in the meantime, you know, Zeba mentioned on the group, like, hey, we should write a letter. So, all right, I looked for letters. There was no letters already existing. I checked Care Minnesota, didn't see it. So I created a, a petition and somebody didn't disagree with the petition per se, but was like, why would you live in America and, and expect any different? And my stance was, this is my nation. You know, I expect human civility in this nation. It is 400 years too late to be acting this way towards each other. And just because historically there have been incidences where it racism has happened and we do have systemic racism, that doesn't mean we take it lying down and just report it, you know. And I think the nail in the coffin for me was when I I put up my favorite hadith. A true believer is somebody who, if they see something evil, they're going to change it with their hand. If they can't, they're going to change it with their tongue. And if they can't do that, they're going to hate it in their heart. And that is the weakest of faith. And, you know, as soon as you give like an authentic, like, you know, Islamic scriptural reference or Sharia reference, somebody's going to just either be like, okay, thank you for educating me. I agree. Or don't, I still dis uh, respectfully disagree. Or they're going to get irate. And I think that's what happened. And, you know, disagreement was not okay with this person and she dropped our group. And I'm like, that's great. But what exactly was it that offended you that I'm not agreeing to take this lying down? Because I won't, you know, I just won't because that could be my daughter one day, that could be my son one day. And, you know, my son, I take it very personally, my son at seven years old was asked in school, are you ISIS? when one of his classmates found out that he was Muslim. And I had to have a discussion with my son in first grade, like what ISIS is. So I didn't appreciate that. And I don't appreciate the ISIS reference to Islam and to Muslims because they are completely different things. Um, and I wanted to make it known. And our Facebook group, our Facebook page is always open for de debate, always open for disagreement. We do not expect people to agree with us 100%, but we do expect that people can conduct themselves as adults and exchange ideas and exchange disagreements as adult women who are raising human beings. And inshallah, good Muslims. That's my soapbox for today. I, I actually don't disagree with this particular circumstance. I don't disagree with you at all. And and honestly, our group is about that, right? It's about um, educated moms, right? For lack of a better word for all of us, or most of us are in the group are moms that, you know, are raising the next generation of Muslim um, human beings. And, you know, part of what we're trying to do is provide resources and guidance and suggestions um, for people to to deal with some of these types of microaggressions, or in this case, an aggression, aggression, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not for us to say how somebody else should feel. And, and my big thing is I'm involved in a lot of different groups, um, you know, and if I don't like something or I don't agree with something, I don't, and I don't feel compelled to say something. I just kind of scroll on. So that having been said, sorry to offend you, but we're probably going to do that at some point. Um, um, that's the truth of it. And I, I own it and yeah. you can't, not everybody's going to like everything that you said, 
But what I am excited about today is that we're continuing our Moms Outside of the Box. And this woman is really outside of the box. Super excited to have her on the show. Lieutenant Colonel Mona Johnson was the first Arab Muslim woman and most decorated to serve in the U.S. Armed Forces. At the time, she had to hide her religion on her talk tags and keep her identity secret. And her family moved to America in the 1960s. And they were among the late early set of Muslim immigrants in America. And it overcame many, many challenges of being different and um, in, in Honestly, she is the author also of this book called Not Created Equal, which I literally read in one go. And when I told my daughter I was um, interviewing her, she was so impressed. And for teenage girls to be that impressed, I mean, I am so excited to have you on this on the show, Miss um, Johnson. And welcome to Momming Well Muslim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited because your book just came out in June, yes, right? Yes, June 4th. We feel like we're getting you right before it takes off because I feel like once people read this, they're going to be like, we've got to talk to Mona. So usually we start our guests off by um, sharing their mom stories, telling us a little bit about their kids, how old they are, um, how your momming journey has been. Um, and I think we know a little bit because we read your book, but if you can just make a little brief introduction about being a mom, that'd be great. Well, I always told my daughters, I have two daughters, by the way. Um, I always told them that they were raising them was my most favorite job of my entire life. Um, I actually raised them on my own. Um, I was married to a Muslim, and as you'll read in the book, it did not work out. Um, it was quite a travesty. Uh, but then I went into the army, and for the first nine years, I was a single parent. And what it was like was basically it was lonely. It was difficult. It was a challenge, but I always loved coming home to them. Oh, how old are they now? Oh, gosh. Now they are, I don't know if they want me to say, but <laughs> 40 and 42. Oh, Love okay. It. That's awesome. They're our age. Yes. That's wonderful. Yes. Love it. <laughs> I was uh, 26 and almost 28 when I had them. For my generation, that was old. <laughs> For our generation, it was old, too. Don't worry. We, we were really curious about is, of all the careers, why the military? Why would Miss Mona want to join the military? And you talk about it in your book, but could you explain it for our audience a little bit? Because that's so outside of the box. I literally know no Muslim women who have ever served in any forces. Well, it's twofold. I um, had aspirations of being a pilot. I have an uncle, had an uncle who was a pilot for Egyptian Air, and tragically his plane crashed. And I wanted to be like him. But in those days, that wasn't open to me. Then years later, after establishing a career in nursing, I thought, well, I'd like to be an Air Force nurse. Before I knew it, uh, I was married. And <laughs> my husband did not want me to do that. And I was very subservient. In many ways, I was. In other ways, I was rebellious. But uh, no, he did not want me to do that. So I axed that career. And then once I was divorced, um, I 
thought, well, should I or shouldn't I start now? And by that time, I was almost 30. Um, at the same time, my father had been working with the U.S. military for several years. He taught Arabic uh, at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. And he knew what the life of military people were, officers versus enlisted. And since I was a college graduate, I would be able to get a direct commission as an officer. Um, and I had already graduated from college and had my bachelor's degree in nursing. So I explored the fact of going into the military. Um, the Army was quicker than the Air Force in responding to my requests. And so I went into the Army and started a new life. <laughs> and at that time, was it still um, not possible for female um, females to be Air Force pilots? Is that true? Yes, uh, but that wasn't the fact that I didn't go into the Air Force because of that, is because they just didn't respond to my requests as quickly. And I wanted to, it was right after my divorce, I wanted to start a new career, a new life for my daughters and I as quickly as I could. So Miss Mona, like you, um, you, you kind of are alluding to the tragic, uh, the travesty is the word that you're using um, of your prior marriage to a Muslim man. Yes. Um, do you want us to talk about or touch about um, touch on the fact that you were involved in a domestic, um, a domestically abusive relationship um, and very controlling um, relationship? Do you want to talk about that a little bit to our audience or sure. leave that for them to read in the book? Because I do know there are a lot of unfortunate Muslim women right now that are pretty much trapped in these types of abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you have managed to come out of it um, and have been so successful, I think um, a lot of what you can say and, and the, the comfort that you can provide could resonate with some of these women that are currently trapped in these types of abusive relationships, if you don't mind sharing. Absolutely. Well, uh, my marriage was, it was not, uh, arranged, so to speak, but it was. I was always told that I had to marry a Muslim man, more so directly by my mother than my father, but it was assumed that I would. Back in those days, and we're talking about the early, well, the 60s and the early 70s, uh, there weren't very many Muslim men. Um, we were living in California at the time, and the few that were, were married. Um, and came with their wives. And so I was introduced through family friends, mutual family friends, to a person who was going to Berkeley. I was going to San Francisco State University at the time. And he was at Berkeley and I was introduced to him and uh, he happened to be from Egypt and he happened to be Muslim. And I thought, well, here's my chance. And my mother chose it for me. So maybe that's a good choice. Wrong answer. <laughs> That's one of the big things I would like people to understand from my book is we can't assume that anybody's whatever we want them to be just because they're a certain culture or a certain religion or a certain color or whatever. This person was also Egyptian and was Muslim and so was my father and so were we. And I just assumed that he would be like my father and treated me as well as my father treated my mother. 
and I couldn't have been more wrong. In retrospect, I shouldn't have assumed it, but then again, I was only 22. That was the first thing. And immediately after the marriage, it was abusive. And again, in hindsight, I probably should have ended it then, but I kept thinking it would get better and it would get better. And then the children came and my parents did not like this person at all once they met him. But then it was too late, of course. I was already engaged and married. And nowadays, it doesn't seem unusual for young people to live together before they get married, um, especially when they're engaged. But in my family, that was a big, absolute no. <laughs> and that was another reason why I felt like I needed to marry this person. Um, and it was abusive and I, I let it go and I felt shame. I felt uh, just felt very, very low emotions because I let this happen to me and I didn't know how to get out of it until finally I made the decision when my daughter, my oldest daughter started to behave the way he did. <laughs> and, th and that's an amazing thing, right? Like when it, when you see it affect your children, mm -hmm. a lot of the times that's when you're just kind of like enough is enough. And that gives you the strength that you need in order to move on. Thank you for sharing your story because in stories like this, can we now start being able to help other people, right? Like in, yes. in, in not hiding it or putting it under the rug. So right. thank you so much for that. And I can't even imagine what you were going through at that time. I love how your parents supported mm -hmm. you through the whole process. And I love how your full-blooded Egyptian dad mm -hmm. was like not happy with when he found out how you met this guy because your mom kind of covertly yeah, mm -hmm. arranged it and your dad had no clue. And mom, your mom was half German, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I found was she was stricter than your dad was. It is funny because I'm, I'm, I'm half Pakistani, half um, Caucasian, or my mom is Irish and all that good stuff. So, But it is funny because she is probably stricter than a lot of um <laughs> My parents were definitely a lot more strict than probably other people that, you know, were full-blooded Pakistani or in a Muslim as my mom being a convert. So I th definitely thought that was funny. But what I did love about it was that she was still, despite being a little bit more, um, you know, conservative, she was still a very, she was like a powerhouse. And, mm -hmm. and I really resonated with story when you were talking about when you guys moved, you escaped Egypt and moved to Saudi Arabia when she had the pub, a public flogging mm -hmm. when you were with her. She was feisty. Like the fact that she stood her ground. She was extremely feisty. <laughs> and I'm like, good for you in like staring this person down and be like, no. So like, do you, how do you think that that shaped who you ultimately became? I was proud of her for doing that, but I was afraid for her. And, and I think that you also understand in the book that I did not get along with my mother. And I think it was more uh, more uh, because I was very much like her. Um, I wouldn't stand for injustice. And I stood my ground in many aspects, um, even with her. And of course, that didn't go over well. <laughs> but I was proud of her. And I know she did the best that she could. Um, my father was proud of her as well. But I just want to make it understood that 
if this happened nowadays or even in the 80s or 90s or early 2000s, mm. she would not have gotten away with that. Um, Saudi Arabia was much, mm. believe it or not, was much more liberal than it is now. I want to kind of go back to your, you know, early years when you first moved here to America. And Zeba is going to talk a little bit about your experience with the civil rights movement, because I thought that perspective and point of view was so enlightening but you know a few years in naturally you could uh, become a citizen you could become naturalized and you mentioned in the book how meaningful and important it was that milestone when you got to change your name and make it sound less different um, so that you could stop suffering a lot of the discrimination that you you did suffer as a child um, immigrating to the United States the name change um, it, it speaks to me and I, and I want to know how you feel about it now as a grandmother, as a mother, as an American, as American, as you can be. Now in today's climate, um, of course was so much different, so much different than back then, but I basically feel like my heritage and my culture was robbed from me just to be an American. Of course, I'm speaking as an older person now and, and in a time period where younger generations can enjoy being American as well as their own cultural heritage. Uh, we couldn't. And even after we changed our name, when people realized where we came from or our heritage, it was the same old story. It's shameful, really, to have people feel like they have to hide their culture or who they are just to fit in in a society because if they didn't, they would not belong or would not make feel made to feel like they belonged. I remember you talking about how excited you were with the name change and I just had this sinking feeling in my stomach like she gave up her last mm -hmm. name you know and first of all it was pretty into the book before that happens and I was mm -hmm. like wait a minute the boys changed their first names did she change her first name too because and then I look back I was like no it must have been you were born right. Mona. Part of the reason why we changed it also is because people would uh, say <laughs> suffer excuse my language but yeah, yes cool. yeah trust yeah. me we've all we've heard it <laughs> yes we've all yeah. been there done yeah. that sadly mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you've already talked about um the sacrifices that you've made for this country and we're very thankful to you for doing that but you sacrificed even more now you're saying as you know somebody with more experience you had to sacrifice your culture and in some ways your egyptian identity by giving up your name in order to not suffer discrimination, which happened anyway, but um, going into a little bit more into identity and digging deeper, when Desert Storm happened, you were already in the military and already an officer in the military. And that was really important in reading, you cried and your husband, your second husband at that time, couldn't understand why you were crying and you called it a war on your culture. Can you describe as a decorated military veteran, as a Muslim woman and mom, what that war and culture has meant for you? Oh gosh, it was confusion. It was like my worst nightmare come true <laughs> that I would be in the US military fighting uh, an entity or a culture 
or a country of my heritage. You know, what would happen if I was asked to actually land there and seeing the bombs fall on the Baghdad was, oh my God, it's, it's indescribable. And nobody understood. I couldn't talk about it to my army colleagues uh, and my new husband at the time. We were married just less than a year. He didn't understand why I was crying. He was safe. We were safe. It wasn't going to affect us, even though he knew I was Muslim. It, it was like a double, double-edged sword, I should say. I knew my allegiance to the U.S. I raised my hand, and I would never, ever cross that. But then how do I reconcile that with the people on the ground that were being bombed? It was a very lonely place. Yeah, that that's actually... That, that I mean, that was one of the questions that I had for you is like you are like a lot of us, right? Which we have an intersectionality of identities. You're Egyptian. You're you're German. You're American Muslim. You're a, an army. You're a veteran. You know these types of things shape how we view everything. And so I often, when I was reading the book was like, I feel conflicted a lot. Like, and I'm just going to be very honest about that. Cause I agree with you. I don't know how I would feel, you know, being in an armed service and if they were going against, you know, Muslim people, I, I don't know. Cause my allegiance is I'm an American Muslim, right? Like I'm an American first and Muslim is just who I am as my identity. But when the two things conflict, how does one cope? A lot of prayer, a lot of searching my soul, um, questioning how would I do this, and always staying true to myself. I will, ne- I will bring no harm to anyone. And I wouldn't have anyway, even if I was deployed, because I would have been deployed as a nurse, not as a fighter. So it's a lot of prayer and asking for guidance from God, Allah, to do the right thing, to help me decide on doing the right thing. Our non-Muslim audience members are probably wondering, why would she care about Baghdad? But in Islam, Muslims are one body. And if any part of the body is hurting, the rest of the body is hurting. And that's why when Baghdad was bombed, those of us who've never been there, who've never seen it, cried with the people on the ground. You know, and so I don't think people can understand that because they think that we're fighting for our country and that is equivalent to fighting for God. But I would argue when you're fighting only for your country, you're fighting against God. But that's my personal belief. I appreciate the Uzma's viewpoint on that. And uh, into going back a little bit, because we did touch upon it, and I think that it's very relevant to kind of what's going on today. You were here at the beginning of like the civil rights movement, like as a, mm-hmm. as a, a, a non-white person of color who like you described, I didn't even speak a word of English. I would just kind of nod my head and like randomly say words in the hopes that people would kind of understand me. But being brought um, to America at a time of such civil unrest and we're feeling some of that right now how do you do you see the commonalities between that time period and potentially this time period um and how did that affect you as a as a non-black person of color going through the beginnings of the civil rights movement absolutely there is a direct um comparison 
the biggest difference, these things have happened ever since we came to America. That's all, I can only speak for since 1960. The di biggest difference now is everybody has a camera. And this kind of behavior will not be tolerated and you can't hide your, your nefarious uh, speech or behavior because it'll, it's going to be filmed and it's going to be shared with the world. But let me reassure you, this is nothing new. It's happened to my family, it's happened to me, it's happened to people we know. Uh, and even though we weren't black, um, we were dark. You know, they say you get lighter as you get older. <laughs> and that's primarily because we were out in the sun more when we were children. But we, we, we were not accepted by, uh, um, by white people. But a handful, and those handfuls, of course, I mentioned in the book. We were relatively in good terms with people of color, though. However, they were not accepted as well. Uh, and in many communities we were in, there weren't any in the beginning until, you know, segregation ended and integration began. And slowly but surely, the neighborhoods changed, the schools changed, but people's hearts didn't. Um, in terms of the timeliness of this conversation and your appearance here, I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Um, and, you know, you mentioned this in the book about sexual harassment in the military. And I wanted you to um, talk to us a little bit about the murder of um, posthumously recognized specialist Vanessa Gann. You talked about it and how it happens in the army. And this was also somebody who dreamed since she was a little girl of serving in the military. And um, I, I want you to talk about the military's reaction to her disappearance and murder and um, this kind of conduct in the military? Well, first of all, my reaction is extreme sadness. It's not new. I mean, sexual harassment is, it's a boys will be boys mentality. And how that's passed on from generation to generation is beyond me. Because boys are raised by women, <laughs> they're mothers. <laughs> and their fathers, but their mothers. And what kind of mothers would pass that on to their sons? The only way we can deal with that and is to face it and hold those people accountable. Yes, I experienced it when I was a young captain, and uh, it was awful. It wasn't as bad as, of course, that's, well, some of these women have, but it was bad enough uh, that it made me run. <laughs> And no one spoke of it. And if we did, we were considered as non-team players. And you can bet your life you would not get promoted. Um, then when I got promoted to a higher rank in Korea, I saw it all around me. And in fact, it happened to me too, even though I was 20 years older, 15, 20 years older. But before they knew my rank, I tell you, I had the cat calls until it was, you know, known on base that I was the highest ranking woman there. And you best not talk to her or about her like that because she'll outrank you and she'll have you by the, excuse me, the balls. <laughs> and so I said, I, I mentioned a few stories where I saw such behavior and uh, 
I wasn't going to stand for it. Is there no way to change the system? I could only speak for the time that I was in it. Uh, how it's changed now, I would like to hope that there's a lot of improvement and that we've come a long way. And in many ways we have. But then you hear stories like this. I don't know what's behind it. I don't know what the powers to be were involved. You, you know, you say the lie of a few bad apples. I say it's not the bad apples. It's the apple tree. And the app, you know, that saying the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And if you have a bad right. apple tree, it's going to produce bad apples. And if you have bad leaders, if we have bad leaders, it's going to produce bad followers. <laughs> and look who's at the top. The commander in chief is the leader of the military. <laughs> For those women, Miss um, Muna, or, or, or men, or American Muslim kids that are possibly thinking about joining the military, with your gift of hindsight, do, do you have um, any advice for them or anything that they should be um, looking out for before making those types of decisions? You know, I think you should always, always follow your conscience. If you truly want to serve, and I, it was a satisfying career for me, very satisfying. And um, of course, again, I have to say it was a different era. But if you truly want to serve, you need to follow your conscience and really search deep inside of why do you want to serve? Where are your loyalties? Um, and how do you want to serve? Yes, loyalties, of course, would be with our country, the United States of America. But I go one step beyond, and my loyalty is for humanity. Mm -hmm. um, if doing something for a country is wrong for humanity, I'm not going to do it. Mm. Did you have any final thoughts before I talk a little bit about your book? I just want to say, you know, that the Muslims today the American Muslims, or the Muslims in America, in the United States today, you ought to feel so lucky and so blessed to be able to practice openly your faith, to be able to, yeah. to dress the way you want to dress, to be able to go to masjid or mosque um, openly. Um, because back in my day, we couldn't do that. And there was there was at one point that I did go to the mosque, and I mentioned that in my epilogue as well. And I almost felt like the modern or today's young Muslim women took it for granted that they can speak the way they want and dress the way they want, and it has to be accepted. Um, and I have to say, count your blessings. <laughs> because it wasn't always that way. 
I am really grateful. Zeba and I are so grateful that you shared your story with us and that you agreed to come on and we'll have all of the links to purchase your book and to your website on our show notes. And we thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. We definitely, like I said, we definitely appreciate it. And just to, to wrap it up, Uzma and I, between the two of us are raising six sons. So you best believe that we are <laughs> raising them to be strong, uh, strong female advocates um, for our community. So thank you for paving the way for our ladies. Until next time, inshallah. I am honored. Thank you so much for having me. Following. everybody. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.